Um, so my name's Caleb, for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway Church. Uh, now, uh, today we are uh, going to some of, uh, I would suggest for me anyway, some of the most challenging words of Jesus, um, and some of the stuff that I feel most challenged about. And uh, I'm genuinely quite nervous today, um, kind of doing this. This is, this is my third version, having started three times on trying to figure out what to say on this. Um, and I also weirdly had a dream last night that I was chased by the IRA, just to top it off. <laughs> no idea why. <clears throat> I don't think I deserve that. Um, but anyway, who knows? That's where, how the mind works uh, when you're asleep. So we are in a series. Uh, we have called it Go. We are looking at Matthew chapter 10. And Matthew chapter 10 are the bulk are... If you've got one of those Bibles, I don't, but it's got like the words of Jesus in red. Most of this chapter will be in read, uh, because um, it's mainly Jesus talking to his followers. Um, and these are instructions that Jesus gives to his followers when he sends them out. Um, so he's gathered them to himself. Joe covered this last week. He gathers 12 of them to himself. He sends them off. And, um, and he, he basically asks them to do what he has been doing. He gives them authority and he says, go out and cast out evil spirits, heal, uh, the sick, raise the dead, uh, preach the good news of the kingdom, etc. And uh, he sends them out. And what we now have is a whole load of instructions about kind of as you go, do this or consider this or expect this. And um, really what they are doing is they're going out to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of God's kingdom. And I just have two verses today uh, that I am covering. So this is Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to them, don't take any money in your belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality uh, because those who work deserve to be fed. Now, naturally, uh, the question that I ask on this is why? Why does Jesus say this? To them? Why does he give them these instructions? I mean, I have run many a youth mission trip in my time, and a kit list is an essential thing to send out to young people in advance. You tell them, here's what you bring. Here is how much money you bring. You, you want to make sure that they are prepared for what is before them, and to prepare them, you tell them what to bring with them. So it is completely counterintuitive to me that Jesus says, actually, don't bring any of that stuff. I mean, he's literally inviting them to bring just in what they are wearing without any money in their pockets, uh, without a bag or a change of clothes, even a spare set of footwear or even a walking stick. I mean, it, it, it's, it's about as clear cut as you can get. Don't bring any of this stuff with you. Go as you are and freely accept hospitality uh, wherever you go. If we can understand the why, then maybe... Um, we might understand a principle here that then we can um, kind of apply to us today in our setting. Um, it's natural for us to ask, I think this is okay to ask the question, what on earth, like how on earth is there a link between the amount of money in your pocket and the mission that God has called you to? Is Jesus really making that link? Are those things connected? Well, right from the outset, I would say, yes, Jesus has clearly linked those two things 
throughout his teaching, and we're going to explore some of that together. There is a link between possessions and wealth and the mission God has for your life. And Jesus, I would suggest, is one of the most challenging teachers when it comes to money, especially for those of us who live in a Western consumer kind of accumulation world where we like to seek after comfort. Jesus' words cut across that. And so I want to forewarn you that today, uh, Jesus' words, not mine, Jesus' words are probably going to make us feel uncomfortable, most of us in this room. Uh, I believe that to, to interpret this passage and to understand that question or to answer that question, why does Jesus tell them to go out empty-handed, uh, we need to reflect on where this sits in the, the kind of whole of the book of Matthew. So we are in Matthew chapter, set, uh, chapter 10, where Jesus is sending them out. You may remember um, that this comes after Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which are uh, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has taught them something, and I believe he is now asking them to put that teaching into practice as they go out on mission in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we did actually cover all of these passages, Matthew 5, 6, 7. We be, we're, this is, we're in Matthew chapter 10. We have, over the past few years, every now and then we revisit a section of Matthew, and we have been going since Matthew 1 about five or six years ago. And uh, so I want us to go back to um, the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, and discover what was it Jesus taught them that I now believe he is asking them to put into practice as he sends them out. So we're going to walk through a passage from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and we're going to dis discover the links between what we own, the effect that has on us, uh, and uh, how that inter kind of plays with the mission God has for us. Um, so let's pick this up, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It will be on the screen. Um, if you want to follow along. Jesus says this, <clears throat> Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, I don't know about you, but actually, sometimes I feel a bit uncomfortable with the idea of storing up rewards in heaven. Um, I, sometimes, I don't know if that's just something within me, but, but Jesus has referenced this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. It was a common idea in first century um, kind of Palestine, the world where Jesus operated, um, he, this, this was a common idea, that actually by doing God's commands, by following what he did, it was the equivalent of accumulating treasure or a reward with God. This was a common idea, and Jesus kind of goes for it. And he suggests that aiming for an eternal reward is the better option than trying to store up treasure, possessions, money here on, in this 
life. At the end of the day, we can probably understand that when we think that we have limited years here and unlimited years there. It makes sense to us, I guess, even though it's something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. Picking up at verse 22. Uh, Sorry, we're going to skip out that little bit um, today just because it's the same idea, different analogy, and it might just confuse us. So 24. Uh, Here we go. Super challenging words from Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Um, Often a few translations translate that last bit rather than be enslaved to money. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Now, (laughs) this is interesting, isn't it? Note the words, you cannot serve God and wealth. Doesn't say you shouldn't, doesn't say it's difficult to. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and wealth. There is only room for one of these in your heart. You have a choice to make. Am I going to pursue wealth or am I going to pursue God? If you chase after wealth, God will get squeezed out. Now, this is one of the most countercultural messages of our day. We exist within a world, within a culture. Most of us, if you've lived for any time in a Western nation like ours, you will know that the, the world operates through um, spending, accumulating, borrowing. Did you know um, that the average person now in the West, on an average day, sees more than 4,000 adverts per day. Think about that for a moment. 4,000 adverts. What are they all encouraging you to do? Are they all encouraging you to make God your sole pursuit in life? No. Uh, they are all encouraging you to pursue wealth, accumulation, spending, borrowing. Your life will be better if you have this. Uh, George W. Bush, back after the, um, the, the 9-11 attack on America, um, he was in an unscripted uh, press conference and, uh, and he was talking about what the terrorists had done and he said, we cannot let the terrorists achieve the obje- their objective to the point where people don't shop. <laughs> Does that jar a little bit? I, I mean, he probably wasn't meant to say that, but that came out because that's the reality of our economies, right? Western economies are built on needing you and I to to buy things and to keep buying things and to borrow money to buy things where we don't have money to buy things. Jesus' words cut right across that, and we hear them while we are absorbed in a world where you are bombarded by 4,000 adverts a day trying to persuade you that your life will be better if you pursue wealth and possessions. Jesus' words are incredibly challenging. Now we're going to move on uh, to verse 25, but before we do, I'm going to take a leaf out of Jenny Herrera's book, uh, because uh, you will know by now that Jenny doesn't really like the titles that are written before verses uh, in the Bible, because they're not actually part of the Bible. There's somebody else who said, this is kind of what this section is. And some of you at this point have a title in your Bible, don't you? It might say something like, Jesus teaches about worry or something like that. This one doesn't, but I have other Bibles that do. Please cross it out in your Bible because this one is very 
unhelpful. Uh, because actually, this is not a separate teaching. This is not everybody's had a break and then Jesus comes back. This is in the flow of this. Jesus has just said to them, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And he carries on. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus has made a direct link here between wealth and worry. He tells us to reject the pursuit of wealth, and he tells us, do not worry about where things will come from, where your provision will come from. These two things come together for Jesus. The more you have, the more you will worry about losing it and not having enough. There is a direct correlation between the wealthier a country is and the higher the level of anxiety that there is in that nation. Isn't that interesting? You would have thought it's the opposite way around. People who have nothing would be more anxious. It is the opposite way around. The more money you have, the more anxious you become. Very interesting. Jesus is presenting us with an alternative vision for finance. He says, trust in God to provide. Now, his first listeners to this are going to be primarily agricultural people because they live in an agricultural world. I, I don't know the stats. I think I read once that more than 90% of people were, that was their primary thing in life was agriculture. They were reliant on the rain and the sun to survive. These people do not have a steady income uh, or, a, or a, a pension scheme to pay into. These people relied on God to send the rain and the sun for their survival. And Jesus says to them, do not worry. This is what I tell you. Do not worry about everyday life. And he's not just saying, oh, don't worry. He's saying, don't worry. You can trust in God to survive. You don't need to trust in a healthy bank balance. You can trust in God to provide for you. Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, Solomon was an Old Testament king who was known for being very wealthy. Uh, he was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. There's a little play on words here in the original language that is, is kind of missed on us where he compares, it's the same word or the same root word when he talks about uh, these things, chasing after these things, worrying about what will we eat, what will we drink, the thoughts of unbelievers, he says, it's like they're seeking anxiously quest, it's an anxious quest for these things and he presents an alternative saying, 
anxiously quest for the kingdom of God, and God will give you everything that you need. Jesus has made a link between wealth and the pursuit of wealth and the increase in worry that that will actually lead to. And now he adds in a third element about seeking the kingdom of God above all else. Now, before we get to how this might be linked in, let's just um, kind of explain. If you're maybe new to faith, this idea of the kingdom of God might be a new concept. So I want to suggest that the kingdom of God is anything we might experience here uh, in this world where God's good and perfect will is being done. So where there is love and justice, peace, restoration, forgiveness. All of those things are part of the kingdom of God. So seeking the kingdom of God above all else, this is the mission that you and I have been given. It's what Jesus was all about. It's what he gave his whole life to, and it's what he sends his disciples out to do, to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. You can be part of it. God is doing something new in our time. The kingdom of God is about For us, in terms of our mission, it's about other people. It's about our quest in our everyday lives and whatever it is God has called you in, whatever your place of work or your street, neighborhood, friendship group might be. It's about a quest for love, justice, forgiveness, truth, mercy, grace, seeing his kingdom come. Now, Jesus is linking this in to his teaching on rejecting the pursuit of wealth and not worrying. What he's saying here, I believe, is that if we give ourselves to seeking the kingdom of God above all else, seeking that his kingdom coming in our world, he will provide for everything that we need. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? He's saying, look, don't, don't pursue money, accumulation of wealth because that will actually lead to worry. So you don't need to worry. Trust in God. Seek my kingdom above all else, and I will provide for you. I believe this is a vision he is setting out for us of kingdom life, all these things interplaying together. Now, on a practical level, I wonder, uh, on the, in those verses, Matthew 10, the second part of that um, Sorry, wrong page. Second part of that, it says, don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. He's saying, look, you don't, don't, you don't need to take all this stuff with you because other people will actually look out for you. I wonder if seeking God's kingdom above all else, one of the really practical outcomes will be, and we read this in Acts, uh, is that we become part of a local church who will share possessions and make sure that no one is without Need. Maybe that's one of the really practical ways that we might see this come to pass. We seek God and his kingdom with all we have. Above all else, we reject the pursuit of wealth. And instead, we become part of a local church where we share hospitality. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 um, and onwards uh, describes how this looked just a couple of decades later. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt uh, what was, and they felt what, uh, sorry, I can't read today, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. 
There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I just wonder if this is the outworking of this idea. You know, seek first God's kingdom and Jesus and God will provide you with everything that you need. What does that look like in practice? The early church showed us a radical commitment to being church together, to giving to the needy amongst themselves. And so this, I believe, in, in you know, early chapters of Matthew, chapter 6, that section, it's this teaching that then I believe Jesus is asking his followers, his disciples, to put into practice in Matthew 10. He's saying, go on your mission now, seeking the kingdom of God, and don't take all of this stuff. Instead, trust that God will provide for all of your needs. Now, have you ever considered how these things might interplay in your life here today in 21st century Britain. I believe there is a battle that is going on for your soul. Now, often we think of, you know, we, I think Joe touched on this again last week a little bit, that, that Satan, the enemy, often we, we think of him as, or we think of, of the things he might tempt us to, and we probably think of all the, the kind of classic sins that we might think, oh, they... they trip us up every now and then. Have you ever thought about the fact that actually one of Satan's biggest tactics for us today in our culture is to tempt us to strive for the comfortable life? Have you ever thought of that? That actually making your life more comfortable by seeking after more and more stuff and money and wealth, that actually might be something that the enemy is tempting you with. There is a conflict between comfortable life and kingdom life. You can confidently pursue the kingdom of God, accept God's mission for your life, and you can trust him that he will provide for you, and there will be no need for you to worry. That is the kingdom life. Or you can pursue wealth. You can try and pursue wealth and the kingdom of God, but actually Jesus says there won't be room for both of those in your heart. If you, the likely outcome here, if you pursue comfort, you'll probably deprioritize mission. You'll probably look to accumulate wealth in this life, and the net result will probably be that you are more anxious than ever. The comfortable life, striving after the comfortable life, does not lead to a comfortable life. It leads to a more anxious life, according to Jesus. And the reality is, A comfortable life just isn't achievable. Having all of your earthly desires met is not achievable. The ancient philosopher Thomas Aquinas once asked the question, what will satisfy your desires? The answer he came to after much thought was everything. The only way that all of your earthly desires will be met is if you experience everything and everybody everywhere which unfortunately you do not have enough time to do in this life. The reality is that accumulating, going after, chasing after more and more money, you will never have enough. You will never have enough to say, I have achieved the comfortable life. Now, if this is a bit too challenging, um, some context that might help us a little bit. Jesus does say to them, don't, take, don't bring any of this stuff with you. But he doesn't say, 
don't carry any money, have any extra clothes, or any spare sets of footwear ever. He doesn't say that to them. He is sending them out. The context is he's sending them out on a short-term mission trip, and he's trying to teach them a lesson while they go on this trip. In fact, later on, uh, we read later on in Luke's gospel that he says, you know that time I said don't take anything with you? Well, that time has now changed. Grab your extra sandals, your extra clothing, off you go. The time is coming where you will need those things. So this isn't a thing forever. This isn't to say if you've got five pounds in your pocket today, you are living in sin. That's not where we're getting at here. This is not some kind of like poverty theology. Jesus is not inviting us to a poor and miserable life. That is not what the gospel is at all. Jesus is inviting you to life in all its fullness, which involves not pursuing wealth, trusting him, and not worrying about where stuff will come from. That's the, that's the beautiful life that Jesus is inviting you to, but it's not the comfortable life. It might at times mean you're in a situation where you're tempted to worry, where will things come from? But it is a good thing that he is inviting us to. Living generously, not hoarding wealth for ourselves, is a joyous thing. Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. Jesus is trying to teach his followers a lesson in really practical terms as they go out on this short-term trip. He's trying to lead them to a non-anxious life, pursuing his kingdom above all else and trusting that he will provide. Now, before you, some of you might be tempted to think, well, this is a stretch, Caleb. You've just kind of applied an earlier teaching of Jesus to this one, and I'm not quite convinced yet. Well, let me just run through some of the other things that Jesus says uh, on this topic. So there's one occasion in Matthew 19 uh, where a rich young man comes to Jesus, and they have a bit of dialogue. The, the, the man says to Jesus, what, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? They talk about the laws. This guy has a good handle on what it means to be obedient to God, but then Jesus uh, gives him the kicker says this in, I'm going to, I think I've only got from verse 23 up there. I'm going to read from verse 21. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And what? Links him to the Sermon on the Mount. You will have treasure in heaven. This is a truly biblical idea that giving money away here in this life will lead to treasure in heaven. We don't need to be uncomfortable about that at all. Jesus said it. He says, then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. There is sadness, potentially, in the prospect of giving away some of our wealth. It can be a difficult thing to do. And yet, Jesus says to this young man, if you want to be perfect, go and sell everything. Give the money to the poor, and the reward you will receive will be the other side of eternal life. Verse 23, the disciples are obviously like, oh my word, Jesus, that was a bit challenging. What on earth? Then Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a verse we don't like very much, isn't it, in the well, in the West? I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
Might it be true to say that the richer you get, the harder it is to live in the kingdom of God? The more you have, the less faith you need in God to provide for you and trust. Earlier I linked, I made a link between the amount of wealth a country have and the levels of anxiety that are present in that culture. I would also suggest that the level of wealth in a country is, correlates actually with the amount of, that we see in terms of the kingdom of God coming. The kingdom of God with the gospel bearing fruit, people coming to faith in Christ with all of the stuff, all of the good stuff of the kingdom, we see that more now in the global south, in the developing world, than we do in rich western nations. Is that coincidence? Or is that because Jesus said it is harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? The more money and riches you accumulate here, the harder you and I will find it to live in the kingdom of heaven, to live in God's ways and his plans for our our life. Then the disciples were astounded. Then who in this world can be saved, they asked. Jesus replied, (coughs) sorry, I'm just, no, Jesus looked at them intently. I like that. He stared at them and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. There is a great reversal coming. Everything is going to be turned upside down in the next life, in eternity. Those who have given up possessions, things here in this life now, will receive a hundred times as much in return in the next life. Jesus said that. That's not me. That's not anybody else trying to persuade you to give money to a church. (laughs) That's Jesus saying anyone who has given up stuff here will receive it a hundred times in eternity. Is this a little bit challenging today? (laughs) This is Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. Another little example, Matthew, Matthew 13. And this is in a context where Jesus is telling a parable to some people listening to him. It's a famous parable about four different soils and how they receive seed, uh, which is a, a metaphor that Jesus is using for say that, that his good news message is received uh, in four different ways. And uh, as in people are kind of like four different soils. 
Um, so we read that the seed, uh, the, the parable is a farmer scattering the seed on the, on, the, on the ground, on the soil, and it says one type of seed in verse 7, this is Matthew 13, verse 7, other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. And then what do we read? When Jesus, his disciples say, what does this mean? And he explains it to them. And in the explanation, the way he explains that seed falling among thorns that grow up and choke them, he said, the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word. But what happens next? Interesting, linking it all together again. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by what? The worries of this life and the, I can never say that word, L-U-R-E, how do you say it, lure, is it lure? It's one of those words I just can't say. I always try and say lure, lure. It just sounds wrong. Is, is it lure? It is lure, isn't it? Lure. In Scotland, we say lure. I'm going to be Scottish for a minute. The lure of wealth. There you go. <laughs> but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the appeal of wealth. So no fruit is pr- produced. Interesting, right? Jesus says that the good news message is heard by some people and it takes root, but very quickly the message is crowded out by two things which are linked by Jesus earlier on. The worries of this life, which will cause you to pursue more stuff, and the appeal of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Friends, (laughs) Jesus is opening up the possibility that our wealth might be getting in the way of his plans for our life and our effectiveness in his mission in this world. And might be one of the root causes of the worry that you and I might be experiencing. Jesus has sent his friends out with a task, and he's given them instructions as they go. And a little bit later on, in Luke chapter 23, verse 35, Jesus checks in to see if this message, if it worked. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news, and you did not have money or a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, he's clearly referencing this moment we've just read in Matthew 10, he asked them this question, did you need anything? What was their answer? No, they replied. Jesus' followers put that into practice. They put it to the test. They put the words of Jesus to the test. And what did they find? They lacked nothing. They didn't need anything. That is what they found in practice. For you and I, this is a radical, radical mindset change. I don't want to underestimate that here this morning. We are surrounded by a culture that is telling us one thing, and it's telling us that to be happy, to be fulfilled in life, you need more stuff. You need more money in the bank. You need a bigger house. If you get those things, you will be satisfied. Jesus teaches us that if we pursue those things, they will never satisfy. In fact, the opposite. They will lead to more worry, and they will get in the way of the mission that he has for us 
in this life. This is truly the upside-down kingdom, right? When has anyone ever given you the advice that actually maybe your house is quite big enough for what you need, and a bigger house will just lead you to have more rooms to clean and more worry in your life? When has anyone ever advised you that actually you don't need that pay rise, it'll just lead to it being harder for you to live in the kingdom of heaven, right? That no, who, who gave you that financial advice? Nobody, apart from Jesus, right? We have to be careful living in our Western consumerist culture. We just got to be careful. <laughs> Jesus' words cut right across it. I, I don't want to... You know, it's tempting to kind of go down the route here of making some suggestions for how we respond to this. Um, I, I don't want to do that um, here this morning. But what I, I, I do want to kind of finish by, by just asking you a question, really, <laughs> which is, if you have set about the pursuit of wealth in your life, and we probably all have to some degree, right? But if that has been the defining thing in your life, or if that's even being a big thing in your life, what has it resulted in? Have you found comfort and joy and peace of mind? Or actually, do you find yourself, you've kind of lost your way a bit with God's mission for your life, and you're more anxious than you were previously? I remember somebody in this church said to me a little while ago, I said, you know what? The best days of my life were when I didn't have very much, and we had to kind of scrape to get by. We weren't without. We had, you know, we had our basic needs met. But the best days of our lives were when we were just getting by. These days, we've got more than enough, and we look back on those days with great fondness. I thought, what honesty <laughs> that is. I'm emotional because I'm challenged myself here in this. I think God is inviting us this morning to a better life where we are more aware of the message of the world, and we're keenly aware of an eternal reality that Jesus is inviting us to. I don't know what the right response is for you in your situation. It's going to be different. There'll be people in this room, I know, who are, um, who are barely getting by, who are struggling to put food on the table. And please, if that is you, come and say something. We have plenty of people who would be willing to help you out. Um, but I'm also aware that there'll be many of us who have kind of probably tried to pursue both, who, who feel that tension of, I want to be seeking the kingdom of heaven above all else, but I also would quite like a comfortable life. <laughs> and I think I put myself in that category. And, yeah, I think Jesus' words are just relevant to us in that situation today. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll see. Maybe God will do want to say some other things this morning as well. Uh, musicians, why don't you come up, and uh, we'll respond in worship. Jesus, we... Oh, I can't
can't speak for other people. Jesus, I am deeply challenged by your words about wealth, about worry, about our mission and the kingdom of God. And I know from my experience that I have been sharper when it comes to the mission you have for my life. I've been sharper in the past when I've had less money in my bank. That's the honest truth this morning. And Jesus, we want to be people who have an eternal mindset, who reject the short-term accumulation of stuff here, and instead seek to store treasure in heaven. Jesus, we invite you by your spirit to challenge us where we need challenging, to encourage us and commend us where we need that. God, I'm very aware of many, many people in this church who, who have big incomes and who give generously because they want to pursue your kingdom above all else. God, I don't want to ignore that or set that to one side today. We want to celebrate that. That is such kingdom living where people say, this is not mine, this is yours, God, and I give generously to those who are in need. God, we want to celebrate that this morning. God, I thank you that you're not inviting us to a miserable life, but you are inviting us to a life of trust in you, including trusting in you for our provision, including choosing to reject worry and anxiety about your provision, and instead (coughs) seek after you and your kingdom above all else. That is your invitation to us today. You say that the kingdom of heaven is near. And for some of us to live even more in your kingdom, to experience more joy and peace and fulfillment in life, maybe it's going to involve giving some stuff away to people who need it more than us. God, I say that gently and lightly. I don't want to, you know, the the New Testament, Paul talks about not giving under compulsion. I I don't want to for a minute, try and compel anyone to anything here today, but we just invite you this morning by your Holy Spirit to tailor this message today to our situation, to our circumstances, to our hearts. We want you to have your way in us today. But God, I also recognize that like that rich young ruler in that passage, some will go away from here today with great sadness in their hearts. And I just want to pray for anyone who's in that situation today. God, we thank you for your grace. It doesn't dampen the challenging words of Jesus. But we recognize that, yeah, it sits alongside the challenging words. We have grace, we're forgiven, we're set free, we're loved unconditionally. And yet you also invite us to a greater experience of you and your kingdom by living generously, rejecting the pursuit of wealth and seeking your kingdom above all else. So help us to live in that place, Jesus, knowing your grace, but being challenged by your words and looking to be obedient to you, Jesus. Amen.